Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. everybody welcome back in to a brand new episode of dimming the gaslight my name is mac and thanks for coming in for the newest episode um so before we get into it uh i do as i always want to do i want to thank jacob the nameless narcissist for the last couple weeks episodes um so i got a dm from somebody and somebody was asking me how a self-aware narcissist resonates with me and i was talking to this person and i said to them Listen, I'm going to tell you a couple things. Number one, I don't know of too many places that are trying to bridge the gap between narcissist and narcissistic abuse victim. I don't know too many places that are doing that. And um, so when it comes to a self-aware narcissist and what they have to say, Jacob in particular hasn't done anything to me, right? Like he hasn't done anything to me. All I can see from Jacob is that I'm taking him at face value and I want to believe that he wants to get better. Um, at the end of the day, do I believe that Jacob hurt people? He admits to hurting people. But I think that, you know, what, what is he going to do to me? He can't do anything to me. What's the worst thing he could do is, you know, break my anonymity. Um, at the end of the day, what I really think is I take Jacob at face value and I think that the majority of us would want our narc to do what Jacob's doing, which is to seek help, admit their faults, and try and get better and spread awareness. So I hope from those episodes what you took away is they're not monsters. I mean, I know we see our personal narcissist in these, you know, uh, social media narcissists, but personally speaking, I don't see my narc in Jacob. Um, I see a person who... I'm taking at face value that wants to get better. So Jacob, thank you for doing that episode. Um, both episodes, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, just thank you very much for that. Um, one more thing before I get into today's episode. Uh, you'll remember my friend Mo from many episodes back. Mo bought me a new setup for my birthday was this past weekend. And uh, he got me a new, really clear mic. I hope I sound better. Um, it's really, really cool. So, uh, he got me a new setup for the podcast. So Mo, thanks a lot, man. Uh, you always come through for me and I want to get you on this, this podcast again so we can throw some jokes around like we did on that one episode. Okay. So, um, this is the episode about my domestic abuse restraining order that was filed on me back in September of 2022. And to do that, I'm going to bring in my lawyer, Brittany Parisi, to help me tell the story. Hey, everybody. Welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So 
I think we know why we're all here, judging from my DMs and uh, my lawyers here with me too, judging from her DMs. You guys are interested to know what happened at the trial. I'm here once again uh, with my lawyer. Her name is Brittany Parisi at a Parisi law firm out of New Jersey. Brittany, say hi. Hi, everybody. She's back. So um, I'm going to tell you guys, listen, so I have been posting on Instagram uh, for a while now that I had my trial date for my temporary restraining order. Um, I was trying to like hype everybody up because I know everybody's invested in the story. And, uh, you know, I've been posting on Instagram. My songs of the day are really rah, rah type songs. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really ready to go. So Brittany and I prepared heavily for this and it was really cool before we got to the court date, Brittany, her paralegal, right, Brittany Mm -hmm. and myself were on the phone for five hours. Now, Brittany's paralegal knew absolutely nothing about me, nothing about my podcast, nothing like that, but we were on the phone for five hours preparing and Brittany, tell us a little bit about your paralegal's input on, on my story. Oh my gosh. It was, it was great. It was actually really validating too. And the reason I I wanted her to come in cold is because I love to have a third party, you know, non-biased perspective to hear these things just to get an opinion because that's really what's happening in court you have a judge who's the fact finder and if 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 she's going to sort of understand our our point of it then i'm excited about that and that's exactly what happened i mean she asked all the right questions everything that you know we knew to sort of be a huge issue or be something that like just didn't make sense she picked up on she was like (laughs) mind by it all because Um, it's so we we so we serve it up on a silver platter it's like you can't you can't deny the facts and we're going to get into my next trying to skew all these facts but facts are facts and hard evidence is hard evidence and we're going to get into her evidence too so um yeah we spent a lot of time preparing for this and we have audio calls. We have phone records. We have text messages. We have our family wizard messages. And we have just hard, cold video of locations, where I was, what I said, what I was doing, all this kind of stuff. And I'm not going to get overly specific with the evidence only because I'm, Brittany says, I really don't have much to worry about because my neck's already put on her case, but I don't want, if I'm ever found out, I don't want my specifics of my evidence getting out until the trial is resolved. So, we get to the courtroom and uh, Brittany and I, so it, it, to me, Brittany, this drives me freaking crazy. And I know it's just a standard procedure, but the plaintiff has what's called a victim's room and the victim and her uh, witnesses and her lawyer and her entourage, entourage. get to yeah, entourage get to wait in the victim's room while Brittany and I have to wait out with the quote unquote petty criminals of the world. And uh, we were just sitting there looking around going, who's here? Who's here? And all of a sudden, my nexus lawyer pops out of the victim's room, dressed like something, I swear to God, out of that 70s show. She had this like pale yellow suit on with like this long gold chain, these like uh, like tinted shades. She looked like she was ready for like Studio 54. <laughs> Actually, yes. And I got I'm not gonna lie. I thought like she looked pretty fashionable. Um, but like contrast that to me, I'm wearing all black. All and black. I'm, I'm just here to play, you know? Brittany was there for a funeral and it was either for our funeral or their funeral. <laughs> Brittany was dressed in all black. And I said to Brittany, I was like, 
Is there any truth to like dressing in all black or bright colors as like the defendant? Should I not be dressed in all black? She's like, well, I can, but yeah, no, I was dressed good. Right. Like I had the suit, yeah. I had the tie on. Yeah. You look, no, you looked great, but I definitely wouldn't want you wearing my outfit for sure. It would look like you <laughs> day with the both of us there. I'm not going to wear your outfit. <laughs> I, I, I just want to mention quickly what I, I loved. So when we, were, we got there, you were obviously like very, you know, like, amped up right uh-huh. and the, one of the first things you say to me you say you're you're so calm you're so chill I love it yeah. and I, I really thought that the both of us had a good you know uh, tandem of energy exactly because it could be easy to get super stressed out when you have someone else who feels stressed out but I, I felt good to be that calm I felt so calm going into it I would say probably the calmest I felt going into a trial I'm not I'm not even lying yeah Brittany what look did look super calm she had a protein bar and a coffee in her hand and she's munching on the protein bar. I'm like, how do you feel? She's like, I'm good, man. I'm, like, I'm good. Brittany has no fear. So the ex's lawyer walks out dressed like something out of that 70s show. I don't get to see my next, but we also walked right behind entering into the courtroom. We walked behind this woman who was in a you know power suit, looked ready to go. And I said to Brittany, I go, I believe that's a domestic abuse advocate, right? And we're going to get to this in a minute. So we all walk through. Uh, we're waiting in the, you know, she's waiting in the victim's unit and then they call my name and, you know, Mac, you know, enter the courtroom. So Mac walks in, I sit to the left in the defendant stand, Brittany sits to the right, and then they come in walking in. So, uh, you know, that 70s show lawyer comes walking in, parading in what I assumed was that domestic abuse advocate and the next walks in, right? And you know, I got to say, I, I've I've learned a lot from watching like court TV and stuff. And I don't look at my necks. I couldn't give a shit. I don't have any of these. Oh, that was my wife. I don't have any of those feelings because now I know the kind of serpent that she is. So, um, so the judge walks in, we all rise, we sit down and he, you know, kind of catches us up on everything. And, you know, he reads attendance and we all say we're here. And then he asks, he says, are you guys calling any witnesses today? So uh, they say, yes, we're calling two witnesses. One witness that they called, if you guys remember the whole, this is what all stems from, what, what lawyers speak, we call the predicate act, uh, was a football practice went awry, okay? So one of the witnesses that they're calling is a witness from that football field who's going to testify to what they saw, as well as, and this is like an anecdote of the podcast, but they're bringing in a woman that, my ex and I were confiding in as my, my marriage was failing. And we were, I was taking this woman's advice on how to save my marriage and like clean the house and mop the floors and help with the dishes and, you know, help with the kids, but nothing was ever good enough. And I would be sending this woman text messages about how I'm taking her advice. But I told this this story on the podcast and apparently this woman's selling me out. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. it is. It, it, it's going to be okay, but still, like, that felt like a little bit of a bummer because I thought that was a friend. But okay. Yeah, right. But it's okay. Uh, they call them flying monkeys. The, the the narcissists, you know, entourage is the flying monkeys. And then they ask us, who are we calling? Okay. So we were able to get in touch with two witnesses. Number one, I've told this story many, many times. I have an aunt that I reconnected with post um you know, separation from my family. I got my family back and I've told the story about my aunt many times and I absolutely love her if she's listening to this. So my aunt is going to testify to how my, like a character witness, how my next broke up my family. And Brittany, you got a chance to speak with my aunt. what did you think about her? First of all, I love her too. If she's listening, I want her to adopt me. Seriously. (laughs) 
that was the first thing I said. I, I absolutely loved her. We had a great conversation. Again, super validating because sh- her opinion of the next was precisely what you know we've been talking about. Precisely my opinion based on you know everything I've heard and seen and read mm-hmm. uh, for myself. So she will be a great character witness, absolutely. Specifically to the Nexus, um, like dem- demise of your you know family, friends, relationships. Yeah. I mean, the first thing she said to me, first thing out of her mouth was just the, what like a liar, a manipulative, coercive, just ick of a, of a person ick that a you're next to. Yeah. Um, she, she she would be definitely a great character witness for you absolutely and awesome. she's got to observe you with the kids which is awesome yeah yeah uh over the summer i took my kids to go meet up with my extended family and uh yeah they didn't we were with them for eight hours and we went to the beach and we went to pizza and we went to the arcade and we went picked to the house and nobody pooped in their pants my neck is still claiming that my son's pooping in his pants all this other bullshit but they didn't observe anything so that's one witness we were going to call and then another witness that uh, is in the works of being called is one of the supervisors from the YMCA that supervised me when I was going through that time of five hours in a hundred days of seeing my kids. Brittany, why do you think that would be beneficial to me to have that supervisor as a witness? I mean, it would certainly be helpful to have someone who can speak to, you know, how those visits went, that they went well, that the kids you know, were happy to see you. Um, that you were, you know, great with them, responsible, appropriate, et cetera, uh, particularly because this trial, even though on its face, is about a restraining order, um, an alleged domestic violence, what really seems to be underneath the surface is a desire to position herself as in an advantage in, in, in a custody case. I can't even right. say in the divorce, I can say in a custody case. And that's what she's focusing on. So I think it would be helpful, you know, to dispute some of that. I don't know if it's going to be entirely necessary um, to have the supervisor simply because that's not the heart of this legal issue. And I don't want to focus maybe so much on it. So we'll see what we do with we'll that. See. But- yeah, we'll see what we do with that. Um, so those were our two witnesses. Okay. So, you know, the judge talks about that. And then he also talks about um, when I was pro se before I had Brittany, he talks about the police officers that came in to testify to our demeanor. And if you remember, you can go back to episode 41 was my episode about, it was episode one about the restraining order when I was pro se. And really all the, the police officers were able to testify was the, our demeanor while they were taking police reports. And then she also brought in the police officer from t- uh, temporary restraining order one to testify to my demeanor. And you know, the highlight of that was I just said to that police officer, I said, when she got the restraining order, did she show you any, any evidence of bruises or, or black eyes or anything? Or she ju- did she just get it on verbal allegations? And the police officer said, just verbal allegations. I said, thank you. And I sat down. So, yeah, that's nice that's job. how we started off. Huh? That was your cross-examination? That was it. That's that's a good question. I love that. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, this is, this is really good. And Brittany loves this story. So... Um, the judge goes, okay, call your first witness. Okay. And they call their first witness as the woman who was present at the football field for the predicate act. And then Brittany, what happened? Okay. So, so yeah. So let me just back up a second. So, um, the, the other lawyer says, um, your honor, you know, I'd like to call this witness out of order. And what that means is typically you wouldn't call, you know, a a witness to, uh, an incident as, you know, before you actually call the alleged 
you know, victim before she called her client. You're next. Um, it just wouldn't make sense in, in the storyline. So she was asking to call her out of order, meaning to bring the witness in first before your next testified, which just and for no reason. So I stand up and I object to that. And I say yeah. this objection to calling this witness out of order because one, I don't hear a real reason that we need to. And two, um, it would give the plaintiff the benefit of hearing her own witness's testimony before the plaintiff would have to get up and testify right. about the, the, you know, the event, the incident. And then all and she's got to do is just corroborate that account of the situation. Precisely. Because something I want to mention here is you know, the, the, the rules are that your witnesses at trial cannot sit in the courtroom and listen to the trial prior to actually getting in the courtroom to testify because they we want to shield the witnesses from hearing what's going on so that their account is, you know, their account. It's not um, sullied by anything they hear in the courtroom. So, so that was the point of objecting. And uh, I was, I was so. You were so pumped. Brittany gets, sits down and, and so the judge goes sustained and Brittany goes, yeah, in the courtroom. She goes, yes. And she sits down and she gives me this little punch on the shoulder and she gives me this little punch. She goes, that was a power move. I go, damn right, Brittany. Way to go. She's laughing right now. That was really, really cool. Right. So I was happy about that because we started off on a good, a good foot. Well, so this is why I have you on the podcast. Let's get in the mind of them. What do you think they were thinking when you did that? I honestly don't know that they were expecting. I think they were just expecting that I would say, okay, sure. You know, just there's, because it's not that big of a deal when you really think, when you think about it, but it is a big deal in this it case. Yeah, Certainly on this case, because the, the, the predicate act, you know, the alleged incident, uh, the football practice gone awry, it, it, it's very sp- fact specific, right? So I don't, I wouldn't want her witness to be able to say something and then she just gets up there and repeats what her witness yeah. says that's not the point the point is that your next is supposed to get up there tell what happened from her perspective and then the witness should come to you know corroborate that so exactly. i don't think they were expecting it and i honestly think that part of the reason they may wanted to do that was because they wanted to get your next like loosened up and like comfortable with you know the court scene because what happened next was definitely shocking. I think. <laughs> well, so what happened next is they go, okay, well then call your next witness. And they go, okay, I call the next to the state. Oh, actually, hold on. We're getting ahead of ourselves. So her lawyer, <laughs> excuse me, her lawyer goes, uh, I would be comfortable with the testimonies happening from the table, meaning like the plaintiff's table and the defendant's table. I forgot. And Brittany is so hardcore. Brittany goes, I prefer them in the, in the witness. Well, is that what it's called? Yeah, that's what I call it. Yeah. The witness. Well, and her lawyer's like, her lawyer's like, okay. And, uh, I want my necks on the witness. Well, so to speak, because I don't want her sitting next to the plaintiff and like gesturing and uh, next to her representation and gesturing and kind of leading her. I don't want any of that. I want her up there on an Island by herself and, that's what happened. So Brittany got her up in, in on the stand and she testified. Go ahead, Brittany. Did you have something to say? Yeah, precisely. I mean, I, I, I think we talked about this before trial too, that I was going to do that because uh, if she was not on the witness stand, I wouldn't be able to see her face, you know, straight on. Um, wouldn't be able just to um, like observe her properly. And then also during my cross-examination, I wouldn't be able again to like 
just get him across my point as, as, as great as I know I can when she's on the witness stand, just staring yeah. her in the face. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get to see a whole different side of somebody. So she gets up there and immediately the show starts and they swear her in. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God. And her response is, I do. <laughs> so, so she gets up there. And they start asking the questions and, you know, they always ask the very easy questions at first. What's your name? How do you know the defendant? Where do you live? Uh, Do you have kids together? All the easy questions, right? And so immediately they start discussing the predicate act of the football field. And the major highlight of this is she says she admits that it was on my parenting time. Okay. And what happened was, which is sort of true, but the way she was presenting it was kind of skewed is she was saying that because it was my parenting time, I would not allow my son to go and say hi to her. And it's kind of true. But the thing is, is that I have dinner dates with the kids on Tuesdays and Thursdays at this football, we go to dinner and then we go to football practice. So all of my parenting time is essentially done with the ex there. So I don't really have unsupervised parenting time. It's always in front of them on public display. So um, she says that I wouldn't let them go say hi to her. And then I, um, my son wanted to put on his football pads and stuff and go practice. And he wanted his mom to put on his helmet. And, you know, my part of the story is, well, I said, buddy, I played football. I don't how to put on your pads. Like, allow me to be a daddy. Allow me to be your daddy. Allow me to put your stuff on. I was like, but mommy doesn't need to do it. This is my parenting time. And so my son starts crying and stuff. And he's like, I want to go. And could I have let him go? Sure, I could have let him go. But this was my parenting time. So I did give him sort of an ultimatum. And I said, listen, either you allow me to do this or we'll leave. He doesn't really want to play football anyway. So I'm like, either you allow me to do this or we'll leave. And According to my next, this went on for 45 minutes. Brittany just rolled her eyes on camera. This went on for 45 minutes. Now, Brittany and I were talking, we were saying, right, let's say we go to a restaurant, right? And there's a kid in a restaurant that's bugging the fuck out, right? All of us, all of us, we sit there and we go, God, that parent needs to shut that kid up, right? And that kid's throwing a temper tantrum. But Brittany and I are saying, 45 minutes. So people around us witnessed child abuse essentially for 45 minutes and didn't step in. Alleged child, her alleged child abuse, but she's trying to paint that as a, a you know bad situation, right? Because the reality is, is this, this went on for 45 minutes as she tries to claim, which is interesting because she didn't say 45 minutes another time. She said a different amount of time, which I'm not going to say the exact number. Yeah. She said a different amount of time. I know. So point is, is that if nothing is ever consistent with her, that's something we should talk about. Absolutely. Well, not. we'll get into it. We'll get into that because there's but the, but other the, major inconsistencies. Yeah. The, the point here is that if this went on for 45 minutes, as she described, it really begs the question, how did somebody not intervene? How did someone else not, you know, step in? How was there no other like person who was like, Oh, is he okay? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Right. It, it makes no sense. It absolutely makes no sense. Something else I want to mention, which is, which is, which was interesting that we haven't uh, necessarily talked about was that she did mention at one point too, that um, I think your, your daughter had gone over to ask her to like go to the bathroom with her. And the next said, Oh no, go ask daddy. It's his parenting time. Right. So it's, she, you know, plays both sides in the sense of 
oh no, I, I can't help you. But, oh, he, my son just wanted to say hi to me. And what's the problem? We right. can take your daughter to the bathroom. Right. So what, what's the problem with, you know, and there's, what's wrong with that too? Yeah. Like I could take my daughter to the bathroom. I can help my son put on his football pads. I'm not saying you're not a mom, but like for that, you have them, you know, I have them for three hours, you know, on these dinner dates and it's my only time with them and it's in public. It sucks. So um, she says that this alleged child abuse went on for 45 minutes until, okay. So essentially what she says is, so my son wouldn't put on his football equipment. So I grabbed him by the back of the neck for the foot from the football equipment and started dragging him up this walkway to where like the cars are parked. Cause I said, okay, those are your options. Either you help, let me do this or we leave. And she says that I'm dragging him away by his neck, by his collar of his football pads. And I'm holding my daughter's hands and I'm kind of dragging her with me. Um, I don't really remember what she testified to, but the real story is she started following me. And that's when she flipped on her video camera and she's like, put them down or I'm going to call the cops. And I said, good, call them. You're on my parenting time. Call the cops. Right. So at this time, I let go of my daughter's hand and my daughter runs to the mom because it's just an escalated situation. And I still have my son in his hands and I put put him down because he's screaming, he's frantic, he's crying, and it looks bad to onlookers and I know how it looks. So my daughter runs to my ex and my ex scoops her up and I walk back down the path and I say, give me her back. And to my recollection... I, my next on the restraining order says that she flinched when I approached her. And to my recollection, I thought I took my daughter out of her hands, but my next is testifying that she set my daughter down. My daughter was hugging her leg and I took my daughter's hand and I left. So there's a difference in, in facts here. And what I did is I went to the police station with my daughter and my next is making it sound like I kidnapped her and I don't know where he took her and am I going to get her back and ridiculousness. Right. So So, what I want to ask you, so why did you, why did you go straight to the police? Because she'd been threatening me with a DV case that wasn't even open. She had been threatening me for months that a DV case is coming, a DV case is coming, a DV case is coming, and there was nothing pending. So how are you going to sit here and say a DV case is coming? And then not for nothing, I know how this looks to all the people around. I know it's an ugly looking scene. I know that they've gotten you know, her version of the story of the caliber of person that I am. And she's told everybody that I'm an abuser. So I know what I... I know that these people think they're seeing an abusive father. So I went to the police station to protect myself. I think that's perfectly, you know, that was the right thing to do. I I, I really do. Right. And so I went and I filed a police report. The police never granted me the option of getting a restraining order on her. But then the police went to the football field, took their testimony, took the testimony of the witnesses. The witnesses corroborated her story. And that's how she got the restraining order. Let me ask you something. Uh, Did the the, the officers ever offer you i know they said they didn't they didn't even ask you if you they never even asked me if i wanted a restraining, restraining order and they admitted that they admitted that in their testimony and i said i asked the police officers i said why did you never give me the option of uh, obtaining a restraining order and they said we didn't think that you were in danger and i said based upon what and he said you just didn't seem like you were in danger and also their witnesses corroborated her story and i said but i came to you first saying that i was in fear and you didn't give me the option of the restraining order and he said no yeah, that's that's exactly the point that I was trying to get to there is that it's, it's supposed to be objective, right? It's supposed to apply, you know, the, the, the rules and the laws are supposed to apply to everyone 
the same way. And this seems very subjective. It was based on the officer's, you know, assessment of the situation. And I'm sure yeah. a lot of that had to do with, you know, how we see like the roles of men and women, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting because if you were offered that, I mean, you may have taken it and we could have been in, we'd be in a completely different position right now. I probably still wouldn't have though, because I'm afraid of money, but the thing is, okay. So she tells that whole detailed story and she's very, oh man, the theatrics were on overload. She's very, and then he took my daughter and I don't know where he took her and like not crying yet, not crying yet, but we know that we know the theatrics are really coming. So then they get into did you ever have a restraining order on the defendant before? And she says, yes. And they start going into the details of that. And there's two major lies about her recounts of the restraining order. One thing is she talks about the morning of the restraining order. Now you guys will remember, I've told this story a couple of times that it was my daughter's birthday party and her recount of the advances in the morning we went to Party City to go get balloons, which is like a birthday party store to go get balloons for my daughter. And when we were at Party City, my neck says, according to her testimony, that I asked her, I said, who's paying for this? And her response was, well, you are because you pay for everything, which is the only fucking true thing she ever said. And then she and I in the courtroom locked eyes in real life. And she looked at me and I looked at her and we can see each other's pupils from 20 minutes, 20 feet away. And she goes, and then he called me a fucking mooch. And I go, "Mm -mm." and I started just giggling. Right. And I was like, oh my God, this is abuse is calling somebody a fucking mooch. Even if I did. Right. But it was funny. A A police officer walked over to me in the courtroom and goes, please don't look at her in the eyes. And I go, I apologize. I was just listening. Right. But in my head, here's what I'm thinking. I have. Hard, cold evidence of my whereabouts on that morning. We never went to Party City. She was never even there. I left to go to get my daughter's birthday cake. My my wife was never there. And I have video recordings of her at the front door on my ring camera doorbell saying goodbye to me and telling me that we need help in our marriage. Remember, she had already filed a complaint for divorce like seven days prior to that. So this is so premeditated. And I was, it was great because, I mean, Brittany, I'm sure you're going to agree. I want her to get all her lies on the record right now. Get it all out. Get all the just bullshit out now. Get it on the record. I agree. I'm sitting here having an aha moment because I'm remembering now we're sitting in the courtroom and after she gave that testimony about this party city, you know, in the morning, you, you turn to me and you say, ask her on cross what time we went to party city. And and you said it a couple of times and I like, I was like, okay, because I was trying to listen to her testimony, but now I realize that's why you said that because we're, we're going to be able to have our, our timeline to, to, I get it. Yeah. And that's great because any, listen, anytime we can, we can show that, she's not telling the truth, whether it's something minor detail, minor detail, but that's not a lie, right? Yeah. Like, let's just go the small to the largest lies. And just right. Let's tell the I- smallest lie to the largest lie. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Bingo. Lies. Because they're all lies. Lies are lies. And you swore to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And you lied and you know, you lied. Um, so then she gets, and this is one of the most disturbing parts. Okay. She starts talking about the time I allegedly strangled her. So as the story goes, according to her, keep in mind, guys, I'm going to tell you this story. This is not what happened. This is according to her. According to her, 
it was my daughter's night of, it wasn't her actual birthday. It was the night of her birthday party. And according to my next, and this is when the tears start, start for her. She says that she was in my daughter's bedroom. She was rubbing my daughter's back. She was singing her happy birthday. All of a sudden Mac bursts into this room and I grab her by the neck and I start squeezing. And I say, you better pick me over your family or else. And I took her and I threw her into my daughter's closet. Now, my daughter's closet does not have a door on it so she can, you know, access her clothes and her belongings and all that stuff. She doesn't have a door on the closet. My next claims that she scraped her back on the exposed shelves. And I'm telling you, the waterworks, the crying when she's recounting this story. Brittany, what were your thoughts when she was talking about that? Honestly, you know, I, I I wasn't buying it, not just because I'm, you know, your counsel, but I was I was not buying it. Uh, when someone is having a physical reaction and crying, you know, about a story and the harshest words they use are a scrape, right? With no photos, no evidence to, to back it up. Um, it, it didn't make sense. Her story was actually inconsistent, too, because it was it went back and forth between you know, your daughter being in like in bed and your daughter being in her arms. Right. Which, which right. didn't make sense to me, of course. Um, but I, I didn't buy it. It just, it did not it seem real. But she really had, I think, you know, crying quickly elicits sympathy and the police were bringing her tissues and Brittany and I were just kind of sitting there and we were, I looked at Brittany and I'm Brittany, I don't know if you remember this, but you had your eyes closed. And like, I was just kind of like, you getting what I'm getting. And you just like shook your head. And that said to me, like, we're just biding our time. We're just mm-hmm. like, we're just biding our time. And like, we don't have any sympathy for her, but personally speaking, I mean, you have the evidence, right? Like I was personally really, truly like, it just confirms everything I've been saying for the last 15 or 16 months is like, how are you sitting on a stand bawling your eyes about out about a story that didn't happen you got to be fucked in the head to be doing that yeah no i agree and i think that the interesting point here too is that it took a while in her testimony for them to like present any evidence that was not already court like court filings any substantive evidence that was you know interesting they didn't present any for a while so most of her case is just her testimony you know that comes that's a he said she said at the end of the day yeah um, and evidence that we've seen is, is really not strong it's just you know, not here's something else and i'm sorry i feel like we're going to jump back and maybe you don't remember but you could take a look at your notes uh, before her testimony, they did, or during her testimony, before she got into this alleged abuse, they did bring out the mediation agreement. What was that about? Do you remember? Yeah, the mediation agreement. I mean, I, I did object to that coming in um, simply because it's not a court order, but the judge let it in anyways, although we couldn't really see how it was relevant. And to be honest, I'm not even quite sure of the point they were trying to make about that. I, 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 I don't I mean, know what point they were trying to make. My phobia was that my next claims that I record and I video her when she's in my presence, which is a thousand percent true. And I do because I know that even if nothing happens, even if she never leaves the house, when I pick up the kids, she's going to say that she did. And I attacked her and stuff. So I always have to have everything recording. Even if nothing doesn't happen, even if I'm, you're staring at a fucking street 
I record it because I need to show, look, nothing happened. Right. So I don't, we're just jumping around a little bit. I apologize for that, but that just popped in my brain. So anyway, uh, so then she starts uh, playing. They wanted to play recordings in court of me screaming my head off. Now I've told on this podcast many, many times, we all know about reactive abuse. And it's funny Um, A listener of mine commented on a post that I made on Instagram about reactive abuse. And she said, like most of us say, we don't like the word abuse being attached to us because listen, am I remorseful for the things that have come out of my mouth and how I've lost my temper? Sure. But I'm not abusive. It's just, I was pushed past my limits. So one of my listeners on my Instagram said, can we start using the term defensive behavior? And I was like, I kind of like that. You know, because I don't really consider myself an abuser. Have I lost my patience? Sure. But like, that's me losing my patience that's reserved for the next. You know what I mean? But she wanted to play recordings in court and she did. And the judge asked Brittany, she said, have you heard these recordings? And Brittany said, no. And he goes, okay, we're going to take a quick break so that both of our representations can go in another room and listen to these recordings. And Brittany, can you speak to some of those recordings when I was not in the room? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, I think there was a total of five three. or six recordings, maybe. Oh, I thought it was no, three. It was like four, I think it was like four or five, but ultimately we may have not listened to one of them um, just yet. But yeah, so the recordings were, again, what I expected, even though you know I didn't know which ones they were going to be. It's pretty much what I expected them to present, which was just, a, you know, arguing, like marital, which we call marital contratomps, like marital problems you're having a disagreement everyone argues everyone gets in in fights not all of them uh, result in domestic violence at the end of the day so what they were trying to do is use these recordings um where you know you you are you know yelling you are raising your voice um to show i guess they were trying to show that you know oh he look he yells loud so he's he's abusive um well i almost like chokes on my water when i heard one of these recordings though which was well, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's a recording. Okay. So she had three recordings uh, to my, my memory. I, I remember listening to three, maybe there were more, but one recording was an incident that, listen, I gave, and I, we, last time Brittany was on this episode or on this podcast, she talked about how I gave her the worst things that I did. I said, I will give you the recordings of what I did. I'll give you the text message of what I said. I'll tell you the the names I called her. I'll give you all that shit because I want you to be prepared for what they're going to have on me. But I promise you, they will have no pictures or anything of domestic violence. They will have no hitting, nothing. And because I know what I did. So, um, okay. And you're right. Yeah. The next had a recording. One was one I already had. Another one might've been a recording that like we were recording each other at the same time, but so she had a recording of me that I didn't have from 2020. Okay. In this recording, the recording begins with her in the bathroom, but you know what, Brittany, why don't you tell the story? Okay. I mean, I, I can give just what I remember, which is specifically it starts with her in the bathroom, basically saying, Okay, I'm in the bathroom. Um, this is good. You can hear just sort of noise in the background, but you can't really tell what's going on. Say, I think I'm playing is- with the kids. You can definitely hear the kids in the recordings, that's for sure. Um, but she's just like, I'm in the bathroom and I'm about to go out, and this is continuing. Um, he's you know calling me names, he's yelling at me, and then she sort of like opens the door, and you can sort of tell she's moved into another room, and 
you're definitely, you can tell like you're mad and you're kind of like ranting about things to yourself. And then she's engaging with you, which I always think is interesting. And all these recordings, she's engaging with you. She's not even trying to, you know, calm it down. She's diffuse the situation in any way. No. Responding with things that are challenging to, you know, what you're saying. When you have someone who's angry in front of you, typically, you know, you don't like fight back with them. You kind of just let them fizzle out and solve it. At least that's what I do. Mm -hmm. Point is she leaves, she leaves the bathroom. Uh, and so the whole time I'm thinking, okay, so she knows she's, she's like, she's recording this. It's very, she clear. knows she's, she's recording, to, right? She's conscious of being proof, recording, right? Yeah. She's trying to prove something with it already. And that was, you know, years ago. So that's also interesting. But the, at some point she just starts bringing up, well, oh my gosh, isn't it true that, you know, you hit me. I, I, you can't like, it, you hit me. I mean, you're going to say you didn't hit me. And, and I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? I'm not hating you. I'm yeah, like, what are you like, talking about? She goes, you just hate. I'm like, shut the fuck up. And then she goes, and don't choke me either. I go, are you recording me? Are you recording me right now? I'm not choking you. I'm not hitting you. Get the fuck away from me. And I start walking down the hallway and she's kind of like antagonizing me as I'm leaving the conversation. And she's like, oh, oh my gosh. And you just hit me now. Are you really going to say you didn't just hit me now? Oh. And again, you just hit me now. It was like, but what? The word, the word. Okay. So Brittany was in this room with her representation, listening to these recordings. And then Brittany goes, okay, she brings me in. And so I walk in and I sit down and I'm sweating a little bit because what did I do? What did I say? You know, there were so many arguments, right? And Brittany breaks out a power bar, opens the power bar, munches on it. And she goes, it's not that bad. (laughs) And I was like, yeah. She's like, it's not that bad. I was like, oh, good. And I was like, did I threaten her? And, and she's like, no. And I was like, did I do anything? She's like, no. She's like, you're angry. And like, I think I slammed a dishwasher. I think like maybe I like, I didn't throw a cup, but maybe like I kind of like, maybe I threw it on the counter or something. Just pissed. I'm just pissed because like, oh man, I've just been through the ringer. I've been so through the ringer and I'm just angry. But in the recording, I don't know why she would have thought that would have worked to her advantage is you didn't just hit me right now. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she's like, and don't strangle me either. I'm like, are you recording me? I'm not fucking strangling you. What are you nuts? You use the word juvenile. Yeah. You were just about to say childish. You use the word juvenile when we were in court. It came across so childish, so awfully planned. Yeah. It was almost cringeworthy. It was cringy. It mm-hmm. was all cringy. Yep. Um, so that was really the extent of her evidence, man. She didn't have anything. And it was great, you know. Um, I don't know, Brittany, is there anything else that we could fill in there? Well, what I would say here is on the recordings, you know, what I thought was interesting is that we did uh play them you know in the open courtroom for the, the judge to hear and I was watching the judge's face to see the react you know any reactions and I didn't see any re- like physical like reactions from the judge based on hearing those recordings you know sometimes you get an impression by looking at someone and the judge really wasn't phased by them great kind of like, oh, I wasn't phased by them I, I was not that- looking at anybody I was looking at the defendant's table I wasn't looking at anything when I was hearing them so I'm glad you did that I was totally prepared you know to to hear recordings like that and i was definitely not relieved but it it felt good after hearing them and to know okay this is probably the most damning thing that they could bring up i know Mm -hmm. that um her her lawyer did say that they have some text messages um i'm sure that she'll be asking her about you know at the beginning of the next day but more of the same yeah i mean again i'm not i'm not concerned yeah i'm I'm really not good so um 
correct me if I'm wrong, but my necks, I think, testified for maybe three hours. It was a long time. It was uh, a long yeah, time. Just about. I mean, the whole time that we were. Yeah. Yeah. She testified for about three hours. And um, so the judge said it was lunchtime. I believe it was around 12 or 1230. And the judge said, OK, it's lunchtime. Unfortunately, I can't continue this in the afternoon. And Brittany and I both like we had our, our hands on our chins. And we were like, shit, because we had Brittany's paralegal called the courthouse you know, a week ago and we asked, is there anything else on the docket for this day? And they said, no, we were the only thing. So we thought we had until five o'clock that day, which would have given us so much ammo, but he said he can't continue. Okay. And it was at that time I look over at Brittany and Brittany's scribbling something in her notebook. And I look at Brittany and I'm like, what's she scribbling? Cause it's kind of like sideways to me. And it's just a couple of words. And she slides it over on the desk and I read the note and it says, we knew their whole case. And that's what the note read. And I looked at Brittany and she smiled at me and I smiled at her and Brittany, we knew their whole case. We knew the whole case. And, and honestly, I was bummed that we couldn't finish or, you know, continue on in the afternoon because I knew that you were super bummed about that. Yeah. And I tried to, tried to prepare you for that I know. possibly happening. Um, so I was certainly disappointed for that, but very excited to have now you know a month of time right well the story is not over yet though the story is not over so the judge goes before we head out let's talk about parenting time okay and let me let me correct you really quick yeah let me correct so what happens last was that the next's attorney turns to me and says oh shouldn't we discuss parenting time because we made like a little change to the schedule so she wanted to let the judge know yes i was like let's do it because that opens <laughs> the door to talk about parenting time which was great okay so her representation turns to Brittany and says let's talk about parenting time the minor adjustment that we made to the court order is that my next is complaining that my my the judge at christmas time ordered that my visits were to be alternating weekends, every weekend, alternating Saturday and Sunday from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m., which I liked because, you know, I get to sleep in and relax and stuff. But my next sent a letter to Brittany and said, we want to amend that because the kids are getting home too late and they're pooping in their pants and they're crying at school and all this other bonkers bullshit. And so I agreed to just adjust it by one hour. I said, okay, I'll pick them up at 11, drop them off at seven. Okay, whatever. And so they accepted that. So that's what they, her representation wanted to talk to Brittany about. And so he goes, okay, what is the judge asks me? What is your, um, you know, your schedule now with the kids and Brittany speaks up and she says, okay, he's alternating weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, every Saturday and Sunday. And he has eight hours. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, he has FaceTime calls with the kids. Right. And he's like, how's that going? And what do we say, Brittany? I mean, the call, the calls are not you know going, the calls are a problem. I expressed to the judge that the calls happen late. They are, you know, with bad connection. Uh, sometimes they're driving. Don't yeah. Sometimes they don't happen at all. There's the, Thursday, know, Thursday, this past Thursday, the kids never called on the day of the court. The kids never called. They called yesterday. I'm assuming. No, they never called me. She just mm-hmm. skipped a FaceTime call. But what about, what about yesterday? They, ne- they never called. You, you since trial? No, they have not called. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we're going to, all right. So that. yeah. Yeah. So the kids never called. Um, Hold on, that's, a punishment. Thir- that's a punishment. You know that, right? That's gotta be a punishment from her to you. Yeah. Oh, She's, I know. She 
she has got to have some feelings about how that went. That's why the kids didn't call you. We'll definitely deal with that. So the kids never even called this past Thursday. And uh, so we say like the calls are going awful. And then the judge asked them like, is this true? And they go, no. And one of my favorite parts of closing out is they talk about how I'm awful to the kids and I'm abusive, but they go, daddy or the, the defendant plays a game with the kids called mommy's a liar and i just started giggling and i was like that's not the name i didn't say this obviously but i'm like that's not the game name of the game and all you guys who listen to this podcast you know the name of the game is called i know my truth but i'll tell you what Brittany, that means that my kids are going back and they're questioning what she's saying so they're going home and i hope internally i hope not out loud but they're playing i know my truth and they're questioning their reality which is beautiful but the way my next labeled it she said it's called mommy's a liar and that's fine let's call it that too <laughs> that's the truth so um the judge goes uh you know so Brittany goes um he goes well how the judge said something along the lines i'm paraphrasing but he said something like how can we make these facetime calls work and Brittany peps up and she goes i know how to make them work expand this guy's parenting time there's yeah. he's he's they he goes is there an open case with dcpmp and both us and them say no and he's like and he went through supervised visits right and you expanded my parenting time unsupervised during the motion yes so why shouldn't he have more parenting time and they started uh, 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 you know grasping at straws and he goes okay he goes I'm going to grant him, I think he said from two to seven on Wednesdays. And I piped in real quick to, to Brittany and I'm like, yo, listen, I was like, I worked it out with my, my work. I can leave on Tuesdays and Thursdays at two o'clock. I was like, Wednesdays doesn't work for me. So Brittany spoke up and, and the judge heard it. And the judge is like, okay, as I understand Brittany and correct me if I'm wrong, they want a letter from us to be sent to them saying that I want my dinner dates back for Tuesdays and Thursdays at my normal times. So Guys, let's put it this way. The judge expanded my parenting time, having heard 0% of my evidence. He expanded my time, not having heard a shred of evidence. This is a rhetorical question for everybody listening out there. What do you think he's going to do when he does hear my evidence? That's right? a great, a great, great, you know, uh, point that you made there i know you, you said that to me the other day and that's that's really powerful not one lick of testimony from you not even you know cross-examination from me just listening to her yeah testifying to my abuse to my kids i mean i can't speak for the judge obviously but what does that tell you in terms of him buying it not much no it's it's all again it's all i think in our favor in that way it really is and and that's also you know, to go back sort of full circle to me being calm going into this uh, day two of trial. Um, a lot of that certainly has to do with the fact that, you know, we made the, the emergency motion and we won and we got you expanded parenting time. So I've, I always felt like we were coming into this, you know, on a high. Yeah. Yeah. So we came in on a high and I feel like we left on a high. And of course, yes, I was disappointed that it got postponed. And guys, I hate to say this. It's been postponed for another six weeks. So my next date now is actually St. Patrick's Day, which is March 17th at 1.30 in the afternoon. And Brittany, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little worried that it's not going to be wrapped up then because we only have from 1.30 to 4.30. I don't think it's going to be wrapped up then. But let's talk about what's the outlook for next section. I know you get to cross-examine. Her eyes just got big. You get to cross-examine the next. 
Yeah, I get to cross-examine her. And then, um, you know, we'll talk about that in a second. But just right after that, you know, depending on how long that takes, uh, then, you know, she'll call the rest of her witnesses. I'll cross-examine them and then she'll be done. But her cross-examination, I'm excited for because, you know, that's really what this case, I think, really hinges on is dismantling her story, which is always what we've said. You know, we've got our theory of the case and the evidence backs it up. And now it's just about picking it apart, right? And going through every, you know, small lie to the biggest lie that she told. And, and yeah, to start with the small ones and build up to the big ones. And, you know, we when we left the courtroom, Brittany and I were talking about, like, we should get the uh, transcripts from the court to actually, like, let's not leave out any lie because I have a wealth of evidence to disprove so much. And, like, really, let's not leave any stone unturned when it comes to her lies. Um She's going to perjure herself. So the, here's the thing, right? Like, so this was Thursday. We're recording this on Saturday. Um, I've been posting on Instagram. Like I've taken some time to digest this because I was emotionally drained after it happened. Um, but I can tell you this, guys, like, of course, I'm disappointed that I got postponed again. And we're, this is still going. This is still going. But not for nothing, man. Like, I know I have it all. And I could sit here and I could go like, I I know her best shots. I know her best punches. I know her best weapons. Um you know, and like when it comes to her witnesses, like I have stuff to disprove that too. And I can tell how they're, we can talk about how they're embellishing in their stories. So yeah, another six weeks is, is, you know, I've never felt more free now because I know her best shots, you know, Brittany just collapsed. So and her best I, shots are weak. I have to say they're weak. They're weak. She's trying to gaslight the judge, man. It ain't going to work. I don't think it's going to work. I, I feel Brittany, you feel confident? I do. I, I feel confident. You know, obviously we don't know what the witnesses are going to say, but again, uh, we've been spot on about, you know, everything else that we've anticipated or, you know, and you've expected and, and conveyed to me. So I have no reason to believe that we won't be spot on about them as well. Right. I've said many times on this podcast, I have a crystal ball. I know what's going to happen. I know I, Brittany, how many times have we talked? And I said, she's going to say this in response to this, she's going to say this. And she did. You, you were the, hundred percent correct. I mean, you made my job easier for sure by like arming me with all of that ammunition and then yeah. just knowing. And the way you have internalized my story and you've taken my story and, you know, one of the very first, probably in the very first conversation that Brittany and I ever had, she said, this is like a Rubik's cube of a case that she has to, you know, unwind. And she's done an amazing job of doing that. So as I've been posting on Instagram and stuff, Brittany, where can everybody follow you from this podcast? Um, awesome. So side note real quick, I can actually solve the Rubik's cube. Oh, I know you can. I'm, I, <laughs> you wouldn't be here if you couldn't. Um, follow me on Instagram. It's, uh, at Parisi family law and J that's where Parisi we are. family law and J that is Brittany Parisi reach out to her. Um, you know, if you're in the state of New Jersey, if you're not in the state of New Jersey, Brittany is the super lawyer. And that's what I put on my Instagram page. I posted the picture of when she slid that notebook over to me and it said, we knew their whole case. And I said, this is what happens when you have the super lawyer. So Brittany, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I'm okay. really glad that I have you as my lawyer. And uh, the next time, you know, we're going to still, we're going to do some things besides my case, you know, in terms of like legal situations, I want to have you on, but um, for right now you're killing it. So I appreciate you. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, until next time, everybody.